You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn. And I'm Jill Huffman. And today we're sitting down with an Idaho Falls native who is loved within our community for her fierce love of the history of not just anything, but the things in our town that we love every day, but we tend to kind of overlook. She is a champion for the homes in our beloved town and has created an absolutely wonderful space to learn about them on her Instagram, IF Historic Homes. Please welcome to the show, Rebecca Long Piper. Hi, girls. I'm so excited to be here with you. Birds of a feather. Uh, we were, I was smitten. We've uh, we said before we started yeah, recording. We're giddy. We've talked we about <laughs> you for a while and we were like, we have to get her on the show. I've, so for our listeners at home, you and I have a history completely outside of antiquing. Um, Rebecca sees a girl that I work with at the salon that I work at. And I remember when she came into the salon, I had seen your Instagram and your curly hair is kind of undeniably you and your brand, like Linda. And I saw you walk in and I like was at my station and I was kind of like, oh my gosh, that's Rebecca Piper. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if she's going to feel weird if I just go over and start talking about old houses. <laughs> Never. I'm going to talk about them with anyone. <laughs> and, yeah. So I was kind of, I was kind of like, uh, like getting a little closer and like, like that stalkerish waiting for like... the end to be like when Marky would go like, what do you do for a living? And you would be like this. I'd be like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, but that's weird. I never had to enter the situation. You're like hiding behind a towel. I'm like, okay. just, just trying to get my hair cut. Do, do you need a towel? Like, <laughs> Yeah, because, in, and I'm sure you're aware of this, there's certain areas in a town where you can learn a lot about a community. One's church and one's a salon mm-hmm. or a barbershop or a bar. Yep. Those four places. So I was, I've always admired your work and what you do oh, for the community. So thank you for sitting down with us today so much. Yes, thank you. And we are, we're on mom time here at the Mothball Prophecies. That's how we work. My uh, husband is giving my son pizza for dinner where your children are close to bedtime or in bed. Uh, my children are hiding in the basement. Good job. Watching it. Oh, they got some extra screen time so I could do this. So Heck yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's where I put mine too in the basement. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Screens are tools. For yes. Mothers. Yes. <laughs> yes. I did. I was finishing. Um, we did a lot of stuff like behind the scenes stuff today before we recorded. And I sat down to finish writing your episode and I gave my tablet to myself and my tablet to my son. Yeah. And he worked on his letters and I worked on writing a glorious estates I walked through <laughs> today. I can't wait. So we were talking before we started recording, but I wanted to record uh, this story of how I had heard of what you were doing. And it was, and I told you, I'm, I'm going to ask you here on air. I'm a part of the Idaho Falls Antique Study Group. And it has been a study group for almost 40 years. Oh, I didn't know it was that. Yeah. No. It's a collection of women that get together the third thursday of every month and they have snacks on the little glass snack trays from the 50s and i am the youngest by at least 50 years <laughs> but you well, i'm glad you're representing our generation we're coming in hot yes <laughs> but you would make a wonderful addition to I that would love to 
join? What do you talk about? Who spearheads the conversation and all those things? So I would be your sponsor because I think you would make a good addition. Okay. I'm also the secretary. So (laughs) we have a good vouch for you. Okay. Um, So what it is, is they meet once a month and a lady is only for women. It's a women's league. So if say we went and I wanted to talk about the history of Jadeite. Okay. I would write a 20, 30 minutes. Some people get a little longer than that synopsis of the history of Jadeite. And then I would bring examples from my own collection to share. So it's a nice social hour. We sit for usually between, it starts at nine. We usually roll out about noon and we have snacks. It's at a different lady's house every month. And after you share about your antiques, the members go around the room and share their history with the item. Which is where the idea for this show was really born. Because I was listening to these women tell their family history of antiques. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The stories. And then knowing that their family was never going to hear them. So that's where the mothball prophecies came from, really. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's so cool. And thank you. And I, you know, of course, I wanted to start with them and interviewing them because there's so you've done um, some of the homes have been on your historic home for the holidays tour. Um, all, there's all these be- wonderful women, lots and lots of wonder, and they all have different take like things that they collect. Anyways, it's long winded, <laughs> but it was that when I wanted, I wanted to interview them, but then the pandemic and I can't really sit across from a 70 year old woman. No, <laughs> no. So I'm hoping this year to get some of them on the show. I hope you can too. Cause they will have the best stories. And like you said, if they don't get documented, they will be gone. Mm-hmm. And I have, I should bring it over to your house. I'm going to bring it to your house. I have the binder that I need to scan and put in my computer, the binder of all of the notes from the meetings. Oh, wow. And they were first typed out on like typewriter pages and handwritten. Oh, so after. Now you've got the responsibility that you actually have to archive all this stuff. Yes, because it's, it's literally in like a four inch binder. And I, they, Okay, so speaking of our generation and antiques, we Google a lot of things, right? So at a, uh, a meeting, they sh- they show an old receipt holder that you would, a cast iron receipt holder. And somebody brought it. They're like, I don't know what this is. And so I took a picture of it and I Googled it. And you would have thought I had summoned a genie. <laughs> you kind of did. And that's how I started to take notes for the meetings was on my phone. Uh-huh. And I would hear them, what they thought was whispering, go, do you see how fast she's typing? Do you see how fast she's typing on her phone? Oh my gosh. I've never. So anyways, that's where there are a couple like, is she even paying attention? Probably. She's on they're probably phone. mad at me. She's on her phone. <laughs> they're like, she's not even listening. But I don't then it know got before, yeah, before we had the uh, <laughs> pandemic and everything, we usually break in the winter because it's unsafe. And, um, they were just like, so pleased with all, they would bring things to be like, Sam, can you find this? <laughs> What is this? It's, you so, made yourself indispensable. Yeah. To them. Good job. I do my best. So, uh, yeah, I think it would make a, a wonderful addition. I think you could also learn so much about. That's the most exciting part about it is how much you could learn. Because mm-hmm. so I, um, no surprise, talk a lot. But when I'm at <laughs> these, I just sit quietly mm-hmm. and observe everybody and who's sitting by who and who's talking about what. It's really, really nice. Yeah, And you, I always thought, and tell me if I'm wrong, did you move away from Idaho and come back? Mm-hmm. I sure did. Okay. And boy, was I happy to get out of here. 
I wanted to leave so bad and we moved to Reno, Nevada and I just fell in love with it. And sometimes people will hear, hear that and think Reno, Nevada, like what's special about that? But actually I just needed to get out and see what else there was. Um, when we came back to Idaho Falls, I had a pretty bad attitude for a while. I just didn't really know how I would fit in, in this community and do the things I've loved, but I figured it out. Yeah. It took a while, but the thing I'm learning is that when you're authentic, you find your crowd, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Now I feel like Idaho Falls is a great place to live, great place to raise a family. And I feel like things are getting better as far as all my interests, like art shows and antiquing and estate sales are like a regular occurrence. Now these things weren't always this way here. And so I'm really, I'm grateful for that, that we're kind of, you know, keeping up with times better. Yeah. I growing, cause I grew up in Shelly. I'm from Shelly, born and raised. My family settled the area and I don't remember estate sales until the last, what would you say? Five to 10 years. I think the first one that I went to was when I moved back. It was that first summer after we moved back from Reno. So around 2011. Yeah. And it was such an anomaly. I just happened to cross it. This is actually one of my favorite stories. Do you mind if I hurry and tell No, it? please. No, that's what you're that's here what for. You're you tell all the stories. So, so my husband and I were taking our kids for a drive and we like to drive up around Palisades, you know, when the trees are changing colors. Oh, that's beautiful. Like, I saw this sign by the highway and it said estate sale. And I'd read about estate sales in magazines. I'm a huge magazine junkie. I thought I've never seen one in the flesh. We have. (laughs) So my husband pulled over. He does not share my love for anything. (laughs) We're true opposites, but he pulled over and I went in this house and it really changed my life. That sounds so stupid and dramatic, but I am stupid and dramatic. So I went into this house. I could not believe the things that were for sale in this house. It made me physically ill. So I went into the basement and I found a box of vintage shiny bright ornaments. (gasps) Also had heard about these, but thing that just made me sick was that every single ornament was individually wrapped in tissue paper. Oh my gosh. I could See, in my mind's eye, the woman who lived in this tiny house in Ryrie oh. wrapped up because they were her most special things. Yes. I mean, she was very humble. And I thought, I have to have these things. Not only are they beautiful, and I did know what they were, but someone loved these. Mm-hmm. And they did a new life with me. And so thus began my obsession with those. But the other thing that was at this estate sale that just floored me was the dress blues for the man who had served in world war II, and it was hanging in the closet and it was for sale. And I thought who sells their father's or their grandfather's dress blues? Uh Who are these people? And I didn't buy it because it was out of my price range. We were super poor right Mm -hmm. out of school, Mm -hmm. but I've always remembered that and thought, I want to value things that matter. And I want to teach my kids to value things mm-hmm. that matter. Those kind of things, they matter. They tell the, the family story. Mm-hmm. So first to say, so love the listeners say. can't see us, but Jill and I are nodding <laughs> so hard that our head. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, I can't even talk. Uh-huh. B- 
Because that's the thing. I think that's why I think people look at people who collect and think they just like things, but they don't like the things. They like the stories that lived with those things. Exactly. That's the, and I, yeah, I remember the first estate sale I went to in this town was not being run by a company. It was, it was over by East Idaho Credit Union and everything in the house was for sale to the light fixtures. And there was no organization. Nothing was priced. It was like make an offer. Oh Just my. It was a free for all, but it was a time capsule. Yes. And at the time I was, let's see, 24, 25. I was, I had my interests of vintage and antiques, but it was not as broad as it is now. Mm-hmm. And I walked into the house and I was just immediately, I was sad because it was the kids running the sale and their mother had just died. Oh, and they didn't keep any? People were taking shower curtains down, shower rods, light fixtures, toilet seats, closet doors. I mean, what? There was a woman who had done this pile in the garage that was as tall as I am, five foot five. She had been there all day. But I found... The sectional that I have that now lives at Melissa's house, a mid-century sectional with gold. It was green and gold lame with a surfboard table. And the Sears, the cabinet behind me. Mm -hmm. I got this all at that sale. And I want to say I didn't even spend a hundred dollars. Oh, I bet you didn't because they just wanted it out the door. All of it. And I was, I remember thinking like, I, I am the type of one like collector where I'd be like, I have to save this stuff. Mm-hmm. nobody right. cares about this. Like one of the first things I remember breaking my heart antiquing with my grandmother was seeing full family photo albums. Isn't that the most bizarre thing? Who are these people? Okay. I have become the person at the estate sale who goes to the family member and says, did you realize that you are selling these rings, this costume jewelry? This was your mother's. These were her special things. And they say, yeah, if it's out there, it's for sale. I cannot understand it. The other thing that I bought at an estate sale one time that I'll always remember, and I cried, was I found a metal box, a recipe box, and it was chock full of handwritten recipes. And I took it to the people again, and I said, these are your mother's recipes. Doesn't anyone in your family want these? And she said, I'll check. And she turned around and conversed with her people and she came back and said no and so i bought it it was 10 cents but i came home crying and i told my husband i am validating this woman's existence oh. she lived and cooked for these ingrates <laughs> and they don't even want the recipes to me that is just it's just sad but it is it's the stories that make this such a a fascinating thing and of course there's beauty in all of this too mm-hmm. that's the other wonderful thing stories are great and the beauty is great too. The patina is fantastic. Mm-hmm. This is the last thing, and then we'll get into your your history. But you okay. had, you recently posted a walkthrough of a house in a, a original oh. part of town, but a very very rough part of town. And I I have friends that watch that story, and our the two types of ways that people watch that story were very different. You yeah. and I saw it the same way. I know exactly where you're going. Yep. And my other ones went, "Oh my gosh, this mess." This is disgusting. It's this, it's filthy. And I'm watching you walk through and I am seeing art deco lamps and glassware and copper jello molds and photos. And, and I texted, I messaged you and I said, who's the listing agent? How do I, because my whole body just went, 
you have to be the one that saves the stuff. And then it sold so fast for immediately. Yeah, immediately. It was a bidding war. Sold that day for cash. (laughs) And you know, they just threw everything away. Yeah, I was. I've driven past it three times. I know those houses. See, this is a, a historic house is basically like an antique magnified you know, 1000 times. That's to me how old houses are. I will never get tired of old houses. I will never stop being thrilled to go in an old house. I truly, I am on the verge of OCD when it comes to germs, but I will tell you when I go in a house like that, I can't even see the filth because I see what I want to Mm -hmm. see. It's funny because after I shared that, I had some people say to me, how were you? Cause they knew I'm grossed out by that, but I didn't even know. I didn't even have like a recollection of the garbage, except some that told the story of the people who lived there. And well, and also- when you said at the end of that story that there were still people living in that house. And then I saw the diaper box and the tote with filled with water that they were washing their clothes in the bathroom in that home was not functional. And then Rebecca says at the end of the video, this is why we need Rental. rent con- control and things yeah. because there's no reason somebody should have been living in that house at all. There was not, I mean, the bathroom didn't work. No, no, it didn't. It was devastating. So you grew up in Idaho Falls in Iona, right? Before it was the boom town that it is now. (laughs) Yes, I did. And actually I attribute that to a lot of my love of old things because Iona, when I lived there, population 1200, it was a lot of houses that were built by pioneers, old houses. I fell in love with the idea of like attics. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with the old Merc that is there. And I just someday that's a, that's a dream project to get in there and restore that Merc. It would just, when I say Merc, I mean mercantile mm-hmm. it just would be like a legacy project for me. But I really think a lot of it started just right there in little Iona. Things were old and people were old fashioned and, and I loved it and mm-hmm. I could run around free, no shoes. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. that kind of place. That's how it was for me growing up in Shelley, yeah. you know, and Jill is, it's uh, the, one of the juxtapositions of the show is Jill is an Air Force brat. So you've been everywhere. Yeah, kind she, of. <laughs> but she's, she, <laughs> I, I've been more places than Sam. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is true. That's a fair. <laughs> Which I mean, on the base, I ran barefoot. Right. <laughs> but we just had airplanes flying over us. But I had right. one of my, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the show, but there's the Virginia theater in Shelley. Oh, yeah. I worked on the first restoration of that theater in high school. Oh, Oh. I was a freshman in high school. It was my first boss, Debbie. She's incredible. She owned the Four Sisters, which was a floral shop in town. And she was truly innovative for the town. Mm -hmm. And she bought the Virginia Theater and was going to turn it back into a movie theater and an ice cream parlor. Mm -hmm. And we did the work for free. So we did all of the fabric that's hanging on the walls in that theater. I hung at 15. Oh, that's so cool. And all of the ceiling tiles are hand painted by high school students. And that chair that's right there is from that theater. We were able to build our own chairs and take them home. But one of the things that was like the story of it is when we first went into it, the upstairs was wallpapered 
with Spanish movie posters from the 70s when it was a Spanish movie theater. Oh, man. And then they insulated. So there's the most... Have you been into it, Rebecca? No. So when you first walk in, the uh, the inside is original from the 1920s, the, 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 when you first walk in the foyer. So it's the penny tile. And then you look up and it's plaster, cornices, and all that stuff up there. But when it was transitioned into a movie theater, they did a huge drop ceiling and it turned into storage. And mm-hmm. all of it was covered up. Nobody knew it was there. Mm-hmm. Oh. So you tore that down? When we tore the ceiling down, the drop ceiling, it was insulated with ripped movie tickets. <gasps> no. And I was watching my little brother who was a year old at the time. And they called me and they said, you have to come see this. And it was a foot and a half of ripped movie tickets filled that entire foyer. Oh, my word. So that was one of my first loves with it, too. But so I, I understand that that uh, old timey nostalgia from where you grew up and you came by it in kind of the same way I did through by proxy through your your mother. Right. And she's a woman after my own heart. When you said she's a true maximalist, I was like, yes. <laughs> He's a color lover. And apparently I inherited that too, because there's nothing about an all white house that's ever going to, you know, inspire me to make my house all white. No, I, I just love color. I'm a big believer in color psychology. And yeah, I got that from my mom for sure. I mean, just even like this winter, she's saying to me, I have this solid wood armoire. Do you think I should paint it teal or should I paint it turquoise? And then I'm thinking maybe the top of it, I'll paint bright pink. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. In a mm-hmm. Yes. So, fantastic. What did she, what does she collect? Is it everything? Is she a magpie collector or does oh, she have a, she a true magpie? <laughs> no, she's a true magpie. She has, um, she has a great crafting background. She's so good. She can make anything quilts and all, all the things. Um, but in her craft room, she collects beautiful tins. So she has, you know, amazing. We have the tins. same mother, the Store. exact same mother. <laughs> <laughs> and she stores beautiful things. She's been a book collector forever. And now I'm a book collector. And every year for Christmas, I buy her a few more of the Caldecott winning books starting way back in the thirties when uh... Caldecott began and up through the years. And so that is a super fun collection that she's got going. I mean, she's just, she's great. No, I love that. I, you know, we've had a, an array of people on the show that grew up with a collector or didn't grow up with a collector. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to see what, what sticks and what is there like, Nope, I got to get away from that. Yeah. Like, Oh, I was around it too many times. I need yeah. to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you collected a lot of, you wrote in your email, it was very sweet. You go, well, if you include collecting wheat pennies and flowers and things like that, I think that genuinely the love for stories and beauty starts at that age. It does. I think a lot of it truly started with me. I had wonderful women in my life. I had a mom who read a lot of books to me and just encouraged me to explore my imagination. I had grandmas who also just fed this all these curiosities that I had. And so, yeah, I was very much a child in my head, a very much big imagination person, but always this curiosity and, and the freedom to explore it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, my mom gets the credit for, for that, for sure. Yeah. That's my, my mom was very much, uh, uh, learn as you grow. And then if you fall down, we'll, we'll figure it out. Mom, that was my mom. And then I, my mom was single and yeah, we grew up uh, yard sailing and antiquing and all that stuff and it was I think back on my childhood and I always remember adventure 
in like the the most mundane things and i hope i pass that on to my children yeah i my mom wrapped me in bubble wrap (laughs) we're breaking you out of it now i know i now i'm just like see what happens I break a bone, I break a bone. I don't care. <laughs> so when you when you moved out of Idaho Falls and kind of out on your own and you're a young married couple, what were you collecting as a young Rebecca? What were you after when you could be like, okay, now it's my house? Well, like I said, we were super poor because we went to school for a long time. My husband um, is a pharmacist and I went to grad school at the same time as him and we had kids. We had two kids. So oh, man. we were poor. Um, the first thing that I remember really falling in love with, and I felt hard and fast, and this will never change was original art. And I'm not talking about like expensive art mm-hmm. and sometimes not even high quality art, but I walked into a consignment store that used to be in Pocatello, such a good one. I walked in and there was this oil painting, mixed media, beautiful canvas, and it was $35 and it was on an easel right when you walked in the door and it was bright colors and floral, but abstract. I mean, it was just like, cool. I'd never seen anything like it before. Anyway, I told my husband about it. It was 35 bucks and I didn't buy it because 35 bucks was a lot. Mm-hmm. He uh, surprised me with it later. I fell in love with the texture of it and the vibrancy. And now I realize that even if it's not fine art, the richness that is there in original art mm-hmm. is so compelling and it can really give an entire room a spirit, mm-hmm. a soul, a richness that you, you don't get from prints. You just don't. Mm-hmm. And I have it in my house and it's fine. But if you can find original art at estate sales mm-hmm. or thrift store, buy it. Buy it. Sometimes buy it for the frame even. I mean, yeah. it's just that good. Well, I, but I don't know if you went, oh, sorry, Rebecca, I cut you off. There was um, that estate sale on 6th Street. We talk about it often. Which one? It was in, I- a, um, it was, had they had the green fireplace. Did you not go to it? No. That was the one. It was an out of town company. Yeah, it was an out of town. And I only know, I only saw it because it's on my way to work. Okay. But do I have a treat for you? It was a mid-century time capsule. And he was a local designer and built the house. And so everything in it was the finest of mid-century, right? But it was an estate sale company out of Salt Lake that did not check area prices. They did not do well. But I bought, I was speaking of those things that you see. I was down in the basement, which had the original like asbestos tile. Mm -hmm. And I walk into this back bedroom and on the wall is three styrofoam pieces that are four foot by a foot and a half. And each one is covered in pencil drawings that are cut out. Oh my. And it's portraits that this gentleman drew while he sat in church. Oh my word. That is so fast. There is at least wow. 150 portraits. They, oh and they're so detailed and you know, he just like glanced and then just sketched. And they're written, they're drawn on the, the, the church pamphlets that you'd get at the beginning of every service. Yeah. Yeah. The programs. Yeah. So I'll let, I'll have to bring those over when I bring you your guest gift and let you pick through them. I would love to see that. Yeah. The detail in them and like uh, the children, especially he really, yeah. Like he could just, you can just see the little innocence as they're listening to the service or singing the songs and 
yeah, than he had. The depth is so much richer. Mm-hmm. Than mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that they're all Idaho Falls people. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. awesome is that? Yeah. So I bought those. I paid way too much for them. But I couldn't. Nobody else was going to buy those. Absolutely mm-hmm. nobody was going to buy those. No. I had to, the dumpster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had to bring yeah. them home. I had to bring them home. Yeah. Well, I'd love to see that. That's really neat. Oh, yeah, you're gonna. I'm gonna bring them to your house with your guest gift. We give our guests a gift every for everybody that's on the show. So I have to bring that to your house. Um, but I want to talk about speaking of local things, the things you do. I just, I just want to go all into it because you do something that nobody else was doing, and you cover the history of our town in a way that hasn't been done, and it's through the homes. What? jump started that for you because it was most definitely a hobby, right? It still is a hobby. Yes. Yes. But there was definitely a moment that jump started this. So it was right when we moved back from Reno, I went on a walking tour that was put on by the historic preservation commission, which, you know, is affiliated with the city. And I love walking tours. That's great. But I was walking in and looking at these beautiful houses and the tour guide was giving us all this information. It was fascinating, but I kept thinking, why are we stopping at the sidewalk? Why aren't we getting in the house? And then as time went on and I bought a historic house and I met this amazing community of historic home lovers that are in Idaho Falls, there are a lot of us. Mm -hmm. I realized there is a pride of ownership when you're saving something. And why were these people not being invited to share their homes Mm. with the public? And so it was scary. I will say I, I felt fear, but I felt so much drive to do what was not being done that I felt like should be done that I just put on my big girl pants and I was very strategic. I picked out the houses for that first tour. Um, I picked them out like in December the whole calendar year before the tour, I would drive and look in the windows at night and see what looked good decorated for Christmas. Cause that's the other thing. It's not just a celebration of the history. It needs to look good too. We've got people that go on this tour because they like decorating. They're decorating mm-hmm. enthusiasts, design enthusiasts. So you have to appeal to that population too. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to see taste level and then, and then when spring came along and then we're into summer, I was paying attention to who takes care of their house, you know, who actually maintains properties. And so your list gets shorter and shorter and shorter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then I started knocking on doors, just cold calls. I didn't know these people and I had enough for a tour that summer. And man, that was like almost an out of body experience. That first night when the tour started, I was outside at my house because my house was part of the tour that year. I was outside my house and I was lighting some candles and lanterns and I was in like my red dress and my leopard heels. And I was so nervous. I was thinking, what if people don't come, you know, what if they don't come, this is going to be a failure. And it was just a few minutes before it was supposed to start. And I was bent down and I was lighting the candles and all of a sudden I could just hear all this commotion (gasps) behind me. And I turned around and there were all these people walking up the sidewalk to my house. And I felt like, okay, there's, there's a need for this. There's a demand for this in our community. And it was just fantastic. And we raised over 10 grand that year. And then in 2019, we did it again, new houses, raised 10 grand more, donated it to a cause that I, I love so much. It's Promise Ridge. It's a 
contemporary emergency housing for single moms and their kids. It's housed in many hits. Um, mansion, which is so cool because she was such a trailblazing woman at a time when women just weren't trailblazers so much, you know, early 1900s. And she was just rad and a banker. And she like dealt with these guys all the time and was so well-respected. And anyway, so we donate all the proceeds to that. And the beauty of it, I do have to say is that people came and really supported this thing. And they kind of took a chance on me nothing like this had been done and maybe it would have been a waste of their money, but they did it. They ponied up and, and it was just like a movie that was magic. And I remember hearing the buzz about it and people were sending me links and going, are you going to go to this? Are you gonna, are you? And I can't remember what I had going on, but I couldn't, I had a pretty big conflict. And then, um, then the pandemic happened. Well, you've done it for how many years now? Would this have been the third year? This would have been the third year. And I was really disappointed because I have. Oh, I was pregnant the first year. Very, very, very (laughs) pregnant. That's what it was. (laughs) Hated everything pregnant. That's what it was. Sorry. I was nine months pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, I understand. Uh, Yeah, we were going to host it in Pocatello this year because they have such a great historic home scene also. But pandemic. So Mm. This year, I'm hoping, just crossing my fingers, things will kind of normalize and we'll do it again. Oh, sure. yeah. And I don't hope this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd love to help in any capacity with yes, that. We oh, would. Fantastic. See, that's the other beauty of this. I cannot tell you how many people that I don't know have volunteered to help with things like the tour. Mm-hmm. They just come out of the woodwork and they want to be engaged in a good cause. Mm-hmm. And so we're just doing it together. I just have this great team and I'd love to have you help. Yeah, we'd love we to. Would would absolutely. I was raised by a single mother. We were lucky enough to have our family. But yeah, anything. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that this town could do a lot better about some things. And I'm glad we have this. Mm-hmm. And well, I thanks. just, yeah, the I remember hearing that that $10,000 amount that you donated. And I was, I was glad you brought that up because I was going to bring it up because that's a lot of money to just go here, help these and they, people. And they didn't really know it was coming. I mean, I told them I'm doing this tour and I want to give you, you know, money that I raise. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. you're like, okay, <laughs> well, a hundred dollars will, will help us with something. <laughs> exactly. So I was really happy to be able to take a big check. I that felt like it was so great. That's incredible. That's just amazing. So everyone who supports that, just thank you. It's such a good cause. It's awesome. And it's so good for historic preservation. Mm-hmm. It's so good because it gets people in houses that, well, you know this, a lot of our generation, we feel like we need to have new stuff, right? Mm-hmm. In Idaho, the cost of living is so low. You can afford to have a new house, Right. But that is not the only good option, and it's not the best option for everybody. When you choose to live in a historic home, you choose a lifestyle, mm-hmm. and it's different than new construction. So I was so pleased to have as many people, I mean a 1,000 people, come through that tour and get inside old houses and see they're not all drafty, they're not all dark, they're not all outdated, and if they are, they don't have to stay that way. And I think it was just nice for them to actually have a visual. Yeah. My, when I, when we were buying our home, so my house was built in 53 in this gigantic subdivision that went up, but we, we sought that out when we were buying a home because I, the house we rented for a long time was on third street and it was built in the twenties and it had all of the character in this 700 square foot house. Oh yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That I said, and my husband's on the same page as me. He, he's like, we have to, we we have to have somebody that tells a story, and and my well, you can see, and this paneling is naughty pine paneling that was put in when the basement was finished, mm-hmm. and she's drafty, but I cannot because it's just foundation behind this, <laughs> right. but I can't, I can't bring myself to take it out. Yeah, and you don't have to because it's your house. That's yeah. right. I'm mad that they put they put carpet in. And when they put carpet in, they took the asbestos out, which was um, rose. The rose asbestos linoleum Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. my whole basement. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's rude. But Mm -hmm. I want to, you speak to (laughs) a lot of things on your Instagram. And one of my favorite things is when you tell people what to look for in an old home, because I feel like it's kind of, we talk about it on the show where you don't know what to Google if you don't know where to start. Yeah. That's the hardest if thing. If you don't know one, like if you don't know lith- lithograph or tin type, you can't look up old ph- photography or right. prints. Mm-hmm. What are, so what, okay, let's, I, we can get as long winded on it as we want, <laughs> but what do you tell people to look for? If they're come to you and they say, Rebecca, there's this house that was built in 1925 I don't know anything about it. How do I tell what's original and what's not? That is a huge question. Okay. The first thing I would really, really say to anybody who's entertaining the idea of buying a historic house is find a mentor. It's so huge. Find an expert in your area who can tell you what to look for. That really is the starting point for so much. Okay. Let's see. First things first. Floors are always huge to me. Floors are not as complicated as people think. I have refinished the floors in my house myself. I am not handy. My husband, also not handy. He is too handsome to be handy. (laughs) (laughs) So we deal with that. But one of the things that I like to tell people is, especially like in a kitchen, um, and you know that there's multiple layers of flooring, Mm -hmm. you can tell because there will be a threshold between the rooms, right? Mm -hmm. So the floors aren't even with each other. Well, obviously then you've got flooring stacked on each other, right? Mm -hmm. One easy way to tell without taking out a sledgehammer and like, you know, banging up your tile (laughs) or peeling back linoleum or whatever. If you can find a heat register in that floor and remove the heat register, it will leave a hole. And then you can see the edges of the flooring around that hole. And then you can see if you likely have hardwood floors okay because uh-huh. you can see that there yeah. so that's like easy. so easy yeah so you just created a really big problem in my house because <laughs> i have original hardwood floors mm-hmm. with a gigantic threshold huh? and awful it's horrible it's a it's the commercial tile the <laughs> yes. the, the textured sandstony nonsense I made my husband move the fridge one night because I would get this thing out here. I got to see if there's hardwood. And then I'm like, how much do you love this square? And I was like, don't do it, Samantha. Walk away. So when I saw that on your Instagram, I was like, there's hope. That's so easy, too, because you see on those uh, DIY shows, they're like, pull it up. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, what if there's nothing underneath it? Well, I feel like that's a great tip for if you're looking at a home with a realtor. Yeah. Right. The returns come off fairly easily if nobody's watching. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. And then you know what you're dealing with. It's also great for somebody who maybe falls in love with the house. They buy it and then they just want to know what they're dealing with, but they might not be ready to tear it up. Maybe they don't even have the money to tear it up. And if you don't know 
if you can save something below, you're going to have to budget for new flooring. Yeah. So if you can just peek and get an idea, it's nice. It's good. So, okay. So there's flooring. Okay. Always, always try your best to identify if your trim is original. Usually you will be able to tell because Mm -hmm. there will be layers of paint or if it's super new, it just will look so much crisper, all of these things. But if you aren't sure, or if you think that what you have is something that was put in later, then the best thing you can do is get yourself in a house that was built the same time as yours in the same place that yours was built, because then you can start to see trends in their trim. Okay. So then if you need to replace the trim in your house, you can choose the correct profile for the era of your house. Mm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like my house, somebody had torn out all of my trim except for in one bathroom. And I thought that's probably original because it doesn't match the rest of the house. So I, then I went and I paid attention in other houses that were built in the thirties and it was the same style of profile as what was in my bathroom. So that's what we replicated. That's what we put wow. in every when we replaced it. Yep. That's so smart. We had, um, I feel we, like there's a major remodel in your future. No, <laughs> son of a gun. So there was, we had a guest on the show, the Rademakers, and they are um, uh, architectural salvage antique lovers in Michigan. And they have a Italiante style home mm-hmm. that they are doing. And he is a construction by trade Finnish carpenter. And so he does these, inst- you should follow him. He does these Instagram stories and he was doing millwork in one. And if you would have told me when I was 15 years old that I would be captivated by millwork, I would have punched you in the mouth. I know. I know. I watched him change a uh, door handle. I was like, and then I was like, oh my gosh, they keep I just everything. wasted three minutes of my life watching him replace a door handle. But was it a waste? Here's the other thing. If you buy an old house, do not pull out all your doors. Mm-hmm. That is one of the dumbest things you can do because the houses settle over the years and their doors move with the settling of the doorways. If you try to get new doors in there, they might not fit. You're going to have a big mm-hmm. problem. But way more important than that is I don't want these solid wood doors going in the landfill. Okay. And if you don't have doorknobs that are functioning, spend some time figuring out how to make them function for you. I was adamant when we did our big remodel on our house, the doorknobs have to stay, the doors have to stay. And we stripped them down and they don't look perfect. Mm -hmm. And they're never going to look perfect because they have 15 layers of paint on it. I do not not care. It is worth it because it adds so much, well, it retains so much character mm-hmm. Same thing with hinges, dumbest thing you can do. And this is one thing that got away from me in the remodel. And I'm mad is this when they took my doors off to strip the paint, somebody got rid of <gasps> hinges. Why? And so when you come in, exactly. When you come in with these new hinges and put them on old doors, it is not the same. No, you have to do so, so much work to get them to fit. So keep the old stuff you can and clean it up and you can make it work again. You guys, this stuff was built to last. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't oh, yeah. Junky fake materials. It was like real wood and real steel. That's what they built stuff out of. Yeah. All it's of the wild. doors in my basement are original. Mm-hmm. Oh, see? And so there's, great. when we leave tonight and go upstairs, look at that storage room door. It's an extra wide door because it's a storage room. Right. But it's, and it was the little teeny brass yeah, handles. Yeah. But one side, was pulled off by something because it stretched the metal. But I'm not, 
I can't, I need to either find a doorknob that matches it. It just stays the broken. And I just grab the little nub and pull the door shut. (laughs) Here you go. That's the thing about having a historic house. Sometimes you just make things work and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that I think make people uneasy about buying a, a historic home. Like, um, lead paint or hearing the term leaded windows or hearing the term asbestos or hearing the term drafty elect like all of those things what are some ways to like quell that fear because i think it's a a capitalist driven fear and also there's some things that you don't have to worry about if you don't disturb it Mm -hmm. yes wow this could be well this is a topic for books i mean it's such a huge broad Mm -hmm topic but i guess what i would say is if you really fall in love with it well let's go back if you decide that a historic house is maybe a possibility for you like you're excited about it try to find a house that you're so excited about that all that stuff recedes into the background okay and then buy that dang house <laughs> okay and the nice thing about old houses is they were mass manufactured for the most part. There are some houses like, for instance, on Lincoln Road that were sugar factory houses. They all look the same, but I also love that story. Okay. But buy that dang house, love it, and then just make a list of priorities. I still have stuff I've got to do at my house that's environmental health stuff. Mm-hmm. Like my attic, I know I've got insulation up there that I'm a little nervous about. I don't go in the attic right now. Right. It's yeah. okay. I'm just saving my money so that when I'm ready to open up my attic, which I am going to do, that's on the short list. (laughs) I've got like, I don't know how many, 700 feet or something in my attic. Whoa. Got to do something with it. Right. Okay. Oh my gosh. We're just not going to disturb it till we can do it the right way. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Every problem can be solved and you have to look at them and take them just one thing at a time and one thing at a time and you'll figure it out you'll learn. That's the best thing. You just, there's so much to learn. Yes. Let's talk about your house because when I, so it was, a I, everybody that lives in Idaho Falls knows South Boulevard. Everybody. It is historic <laughs> as historic gets. And your house is what I'm modeling part of my shed after before I knew <laughs> that it was your house. <laughs> Because like, obviously my shed is not um, like, because you have that, I don't know the exact name of it, but the trim that hangs off the edge of your roof, what is it called? Bargeboard gingerbread trim. Gingerbread trim. Okay. Obviously my shed would not have been made with gingerbread trim. So me as an insane person, I'm going to make my own. Which is going to be adorable. Thank you. (laughs) So tell me how, okay. When you bought your house, it obviously did not look like it does now. What have they done to it? What was it like? I just, I want to know the whole story of buying your house. Okay. It's a great story. I was 15 years old, just had my driver's license, played softball in high school, went to Bonneville high school. I would drive down South Boulevard to go to my games at toughest park. I would stick my head out the window, like a dog. When I went (laughs) by this house that I live in now, because I loved it so much. And I told my friends I'm living in that house. If I live in Idaho Falls, I'm living in that house. Okay. Just for everyone who doesn't know what my house, my house is not a big house. It's just a cottage, but it is just like cute and fun. It is like the quintessential historic home. It's like cottagey and Mm -hmm. just, you know, quirky and it's just 
it's just fun. It's one of those where you look at it and you go, either a good witch lives there or a bad witch lives there. <laughs> I mean, your house is a good witch house. <laughs> it is kind of a witch house. But it would be cute if it was painted black someday and you know that's true. I'm not, not going to tell you not to do it, but that way when I'll get it after that, when it's black, I'll take over. <laughs> so it's a temptation for me. I love black houses. Anyway, so then fast forward all these years, we moved back from grad school. I'm pouting about grad school literally the weekend after we moved back, this house went on the market. <gasps> I was sick to my stomach. I was like telling my husband, this house is going to sell overnight. We have no money as I've referenced on the show. Um, <laughs> I thought, we can't, I can, there's no way we can make this work. My opportunity is, it's just poof gone. It was just right there. That's like the worst form of torture. Oh, I know. Girls, this house stayed on the market for six months. <gasps> six right. months? Let's see. When did I move back? June, July, August. June, July, August. No, May. Yeah, about six months. And finally, I made the most pathetic, desperate offer of all time. We went through the house and we said, we want to buy this house with a closing date that is about nine months from now, because in our minds, we thought we can save up enough for a down payment in nine months <laughs> if we're like focused, hyper-focused. And then the magic was that I knew they had kids and I knew their kids had started the school year. Oh, and I thought, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw this out there and just see what happens. And they took it and we saved our money. We saved all our pennies and we had the down payment and we moved in all that time later. So part of me is like, this house was meant to be mine. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you know how crazy the market is right now. My house would sell so fast. Any house that's on South Boulevard would sell super fast. Well, right? yeah. That's why we built because we couldn't find a house. Because mm-hmm. we we were going to like, you know, buy a house and maybe do some remodeling. But as soon as you like went through a house, the realtor would be like, if you want it, you need to make a deal right now. And I'm like, well, I don't know because I can't like mm. have to take a minute. Yeah. There's so much demand right now, which then goes back to that rental regulation thing we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. And you have rental regulations and there's so much demand for housing. You can rent stuff as is and people have to take it because they don't have any other options. Yep. Right. We, we were stuck in that situation for a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And it was so, not great. Not good. Yeah, for sure. So that's how we ended up in our house. It's a great place to be. It was really super sad when we moved in. The way it looked inside was definitely not our taste. It was really outdated. And a lot of the good stuff had been torn out, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have found since then that sometimes it is a little blessing in disguise when not everything is original. Because then you do have a little bit more liberty to add what you want. Mm-hmm. When something is like a time capsule, right? Mm-hmm. Then you feel like there's, and rightly so, there's pressure to keep all the original things you can and embrace them. But then you just don't have as much liberty. So pros and cons. Sure. I still have the original windows, but I don't have any. So that's a good one. Well, I have two. <laughs> two of them. Well, you've done, I mean, you've done an absolutely beautiful job restoring it and putting your touch on it and... I loved, I remember when I found your blog, I'm like the type of person that's like, well, guess I got to go all the way back to the beginning and look at everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I, yeah, I've always admired it and I've always loved it. And I, I mean, it's, 
I want to speak about too, because I think you're too humble to speak about it yourself. The amount of pressure you put on the community to make sure that historic places are maintained is remarkable. Like I, so for those of you that are local, you know about the debacle on South Boulevard, but for those of our listeners that live everywhere, this street is our city is a built like a grid and there's absolutely no reason for your street to be a main thoroughfare. And the city was trying to make it a main thoroughfare, which still doesn't make sense. So speak to that for just a second, what they were trying to do to your street. This street is where the parade route is on the 4th of July. And it has been there for years and years and years. And it is filled with historic homes. Mm -hmm. So what was happening is the city was discussing uh, widening a portion of South Boulevard, which would require removal of um, the park strip. That's the grass strips that Mm -hmm. go along the sidewalk. Um, So the road would actually in, in that part would have gone all the way to the sidewalks. I mean, it would have it wouldn't even have been super safe for those people living there. No. And, then, and they uh, wanted to add lanes to the road to, to, like you said, Sam, turn it into a thoroughfare that just made no sense. And that just violated all of my historic, you know, uh, sensibilities. Like mm-hmm. how do you do that? How do you take a historically significant part of the town and reduce it to just like a, a road? You just cruise. That's what it would have been. It would yeah. be cruise down that street. And so luckily, again, the community just turned out. You know what? The thing that's really great about this community, too, is that people will support you. They will get behind a cause if they feel like it's a good cause and they will come and they will turn up. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's great. So my next door neighbor, she's so rad. Um, she helped me so much. We worked together on this project and we just like spread the word and we canvassed our streets with signs that said that we were not OK with what the city was planning for South Boulevard. And I really, truly did not know if they would even listen to us because, Mm. you know, government, they can do whatever they want. Right. 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 It was um, public works. So public works, they don't like, they are not elected officials. So I didn't know why they would even have any reason to listen to us, but to their credit, they listened to the community and we had thousands of signatures. We had about as many signatures protesting that change as our mayor received in votes in the last election. Wow. And that's when I thought, okay, we've created some political will here and this is a good thing. Well, you not only, you didn't just do a petition, you showed them how unsafe it would have been. And what did you do? We had, and this was my neighbor's idea, not mine. We had a bike in like a sit in and we had hundreds of people come to South Boulevard and ride their bikes in these teeny tiny inadequate uh, bike lanes that we had at the time to show that this plan that they had would not work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was a great visual. We had the news and Mm -hmm. everybody there. And And the the city immediately tucked tail. Yeah. They, it's like, okay, yeah. Oh, never mind. Sorry. Just kidding. Ha, JK, got you. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) 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 Wait a minute. Who said this? I didn't. Who did that? (laughs) Nobody. We don't know her. She's fired. Leave. She's an intern. She didn't know what she was doing. And you, uh, before we get to the estate sale walkthrough, there's a couple questions I want to ask, but I want to have you speak on, because I think it's important. You're working on a very, very important historical project at Toffus Park. Yes, and I'm so excited. We've talked about the history of Idaho Falls mm-hmm. in a couple of episodes, and we've spoken to the uh, the historical 
importance of Toffus Park. Mm-hmm. And you are spearheading a new project with it. Hey, now, just to be clear, I am not spearheading it. I'm going to tell you that you are. No, I am super <laughs> No, but I am super excited about this project. So the city has asked um, a gal, she used to be the mayor in Ammon. Okay. They asked, um, they asked her if she would basically create this board to come in and save Funland. Now here's a little background for people who don't know. Funland is like just your very quintessential small town amusement park. It's so quaint. It's so adorable. Okay. But it has fallen into disrepair. It's expensive to keep something like that up and running the right way. And so the city was able to purchase the equipment. um, And now we are trying to get Funland back where it used to be. And we're trying to do as much of a restoration as we can on it, which is so great. Or I would not have been part of this project. Um, Funland was established in 1947. So it's really, truly historic. Wow. And uh, what we're doing is we are just trying to get as many sponsors and as much community involvement as we can. So we really want to reopen the spring of 2022. Right now, what we're doing is um, getting all of those funds raised that we need, but also getting a plan for what it's going to look like because we're actually going to do this right. Mm. We're going to have beautiful brick paths. We're going to have a place right in the middle for a time capsule. We're <laughs> going into um, the carousel horses and we are going to restore those the right way. Oh. I mean, every part of this project just like resonates with me like mm-hmm. on a molecular level. Mm-hmm. It is so much fun. There's these log cabins that are there that are historically significant because years ago, people know this probably, Toffus Park had a lake (laughs) and people would change in those houses into their bathing suits, right? So we are going to go ahead and restore those. And this was so much fun. I was telling Dana, We've got to do red and white cabana stripes. They'd be yes. so cute for the awnings. And then we went inside the log cabins and we found cabana stripe fabric that used to hang over the windows. I was yes. like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was meant so to be. Every part of this project is so fun. And we are going to have a couple new things like we, um, we had to remove the mini golf because it was not in good condition. So we're putting a new mini golf in, but we're being very careful about the style of that. And we are, I don't, this might be a secret, but it's okay. Put it on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We are trying to see if we can source one more ride that would be new to us, but actually (gasps) contemporary with the other rides. Okay. So it would be a new old ride. So So mothballers. If you know anybody that is a, a a carnival worker or knows about rides, oh, send them yeah. our way and we'll send them to Rebecca in the city, please. We use that help and that feedback and direction for sure. That would be mm-hmm. fantastic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just going to be this little crown jewel, I feel like, in Toffus Park. And it's going to be great. We're so I'm, excited. I've been working I'm, on the signage. I mean, is there anything more fun than working on signage for? No, I want to work on the um, carousel horses. Yeah. Yes. And the, the beautiful thing about this is we really do need a lot of community volunteers to help us with all of this stuff. So come out. Sign us up. We're there. We could totally. Okay. Listeners, I'm putting this out to you guys right now. Everybody that is local. 
we're going to put together a mothball volunteer squad. Oh, I love this. To be yes. a part of this. How cool oh. would that be? Oh, I love it. Can it's we so have t-shirts? A hundred percent. Honey, honey, we have t-shirts. <gasps> we're getting them made right now. Okay. We're in. We're going to put our order in. We're doing okay. it. We got. I already have a list when I come to your house. We're going to check it off. I- <laughs> Okay, this I'm this. so excited right now. Yeah, no, I love this. And I love, you know, with the show and the history and everything we've learned, it's really I'm not from Idaho Falls originally, but my my adult roots and heart are here. Well, and that's just the same for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember because I took my twins to the little amusement park when it was still open when they were little. They loved it. Mm-hmm. It was so fun. And I just. It's just something we need. Mm-hmm. It's just need something it. needed. Yeah. Yep. We need it. And another thing you, like you mentioned, these memories that you have with your twins, we're actually soliciting memories from people. Please send us photos memories, all these things, because we want to use that to promote the reopening. We want to use that for the time capsule. And we also want to use that for even like giveaways and things like that. So gather up all those ideas if you've got them and send them in. And anyway, our website for Funland is super simple. It's funlandatthezoo.com. That's perfect. So. perfect. We'll put that in your show notes too. It'll be on our website yeah. also. Um, can we also write in stories of how we thought we were going to die on the octopus? Oh, honey, me too. Oh. <laughs> it was so scary. It was and why scary. did they just use tennis balls to like like this is good so the octopus <laughs> was one of those like it's uh the ones that would go up in the air and spin and through centripetal force would, would not eject your body would keep you back <laughs> and i'm pretty sure they were using old karate belts and tennis <laughs> balls that they use on walkers to keep you in i remember we went as a field trip from a school in shelly <laughs> and i saw god on that and I'm in between two older kids and I'm like, I don't ever want to do this again ever in my life. I know my husband went on with the twins and he was like, ha, we're done. We're not. Yeah. No. So we also if you again. have uh, <laughs> horror stories of fun land. <laughs> it's, it's true. And, and just for the record, the safety of fun land is being improved. We are taking that good is to know. That's a, that's like, noted. that's good. Oh, we're on it. We're yeah. on noted, it. Noted. <laughs> good to know. I'm happy. I'll, now I can volunteer fully. <laughs> now that we know it's safe. I wanted to screen that before and be like, all right, off the air. Hey, Rebecca, um, what's the liability insurance looking like? Is it a prayer and like a see you later? Or is it like a whole? I'm just kidding. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so this is a selfish question from Jill and I. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I've seen you at estate sales. And before we get to my favorite part of the show... I want to know your estate sale process. Jill and I, we go in, we do a fast sweep and then a slow look. Okay. I will let you know because I definitely have a system. Oh, good. <laughs> we love it when we learn new systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I don't know if I should reveal all my secrets, but I you will. You don't have to. You don't have to reveal all of them. Hey, no, because like my sister and I like to say to each other, may the best woman win. Okay. <laughs> so get your butt in there and find the good stuff. I think we it. inadvertently do that to each we, other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 We've had some ugly fights anyway. Okay. So this is what I always do when I get to the estate sale. I just get my butt down to the basement immediately okay. because my favorite things are almost always in the basement. I love vintage ornaments. I'm going down there. Oh, they don't ever carry out the holiday decor. No, it's always in the basement. They're leave it in the storage room. Exactly. So I'll be busting it down there for sure. In fact, I think almost every single one of my good finds 
is in the basement or the garage. <laughs> the garage is so good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Never go, don't even go in the kitchen. That is the dead light. No, but maybe the bathroom. I don't know. <laughs> out of the bathroom in this day cell. But bathroom, kitchen, mm-mm. nope. I'm going downstairs, come back up, go to the garage. Ooh. Every time. And here's the other thing. You need to know a few things you want to look for before you go. Because there is usually so much stuff that you can't even see. Yes. You can't even see all the things. But if in your mind you're like, okay, I'm looking for plaid wool blankets. It's always on my list. I'm looking for the vintage ornaments. I'm looking for pewter that I buy for my mother-in-law. Okay. I'm looking for original art. Then when I go in there, those things are like ping, ping, ping. Those Mm -hmm. are the things stand out to me. If I, if you just go in there and you're just cruising around, you are going to hate estate sales. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm going through junk. It's mm-hmm. true. Cause I do, I do a grab where I'm like, I know what I'm after like that. I have a rolling list for thrifting and estate sailing mm-hmm. and yard sailing. And I, those things, I, they go into my basket immediately. And then I think about it mm-hmm. because I, I, yeah, I have done it a couple times where I go, ma, and then I leave the room and I come back and somebody else didn't go, ma, and then I'm mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get so mad. I do. And Jill's then like you're it. standing in line and you see the person in front of you with yes, the item. It's the worst. It's the worst. Mm-hmm. Or it's on the, it's on the keep table. Oh, yeah. Yes. The whole table. I and hate the like, keep table. Did that the sale yet? Did that the sale? I'm taking this. I'm mm-hmm. pretending like it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. It's so many times I've seen something on the keep table and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. she didn't see who put that on the keep table. So yeah. maybe she'll just know I. And then I'm uh, an aggressive rule follower. I like to say that I'm hardcore and a real rebel. I'm not. I drive the speed <laughs> limit with cruise control. I defrost appropriately. I seem very, very rough around the edges, but I can assure you that she's not. It's an she really is a rule follower, guys. I know. It's. I'm sorry. I like. Look to at me. Apologize as a rule follower. <laughs> no, I'm hardcore, guys. Do she, she has tattoos and red hair. She's real mean. So mean. Real rough. <laughs> Anybody buy that? No, nobody. No. When you go, so I know you do like um, design, right? Do you do that like as a like if anybody's in the area, reach out to Rebecca. Should we say that thing? Sure, that would be great. I I have a real job too. <laughs> what do you do for your real job? <laughs> I'm a marketing director for a company in town that builds oh. like internationally. And so that is my like that's my bread and butter job, but I have started to accept little design projects. So I'm working on two right now that are super fun. Um they're newer construction and I'm always saying, "All right, now it's time for us to add in some old stuff." Right? Because yeah. you do need that. Even if you like new stuff, it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that just a couple well-placed antiques or vintage items, it adds soul to your house instead of feeling mm-hmm. like a big box store. Yes. A big yep. box. That's what okay. I do. Mm-hmm. I mix the old with the new. And I can, yeah, oh, I can ahead. tell you my aunt who owns a salon that I work in bought a new build. And I said, send me your color palette. I'm going to watch for antiques for your house. And she just kind of looked at me and I was like, just trust me. Just trust me. Mm -hmm. That's what I've started telling people too. When they have a new house and they're like remodeling their kitchen, I'll say, so what is it that you want to collect? And they'll say, I haven't even got to that point. And I said, no, really think about it. If you want splatterware, if you want silver dishes, if you want white dishes, 
just think about it and get an idea now. And then when I'm going to all my estate sales, my thrift stores, right. Mm -hmm. Then I'll be looking for those things and you can amass quite a collection. Mm -hmm. And so when you get in there, you have built in soul and character. It's worth every single cent. And besides you're hardly going to spend. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. If you're willing to decorate your house from TJ Maxx, stop at an antique store first. Oh, so true. It's true. Yeah. And yeah. nobody else is going to have it. No. That's the other thing mm-hmm. that people don't even think about that. But when you buy something like it at an estate sale, that you're getting something no one else has. And another thing, some people think estate sales and grudge sales are the same. They are They're not. They're not. This is my theory. This is what I tell everyone. When you shop a grudge sale, you're shopping people's garbage. When you shop an estate sale, you're shopping people's treasures, right? Mm-hmm. I'm always going to go to estate sales. I'm rarely going to go to grudge sales. Rarely. Mm-hmm. If I know what neighborhood it's going to be in, I'll stop. Yeah. Speaking of, we're now to my favorite part of the show. It'll be the reason Jill leaves the show. (laughs) And I'm going to get my iPad a little closer to me here so I can see it. I have been, I buy these for people all over the world. Okay. People we've had on and trying to picture what their hometown is. Uh Uh-huh. To write one for somebody that I know loves the same town that I do is chef's kiss for inspiration. And it gives me heart. Jill never reads these before we start. I never do. For those of you that are new to the show, uh, on each episode, I write a completely made up and fake estate sale. It is. Guys, it's 100% fake from my crazy mind. Yeah, it gives me heartburn. Made up estate sale, rummage sale, whatever, what have you. Each sale is made up of different scenarios and different things to choose from. But the sales are filled with all of your favorite items. If it is between, if it was this or this, it's definitely between this or that. No question. If you think it's there, it definitely is. The catch is you can only pick one or the other. No take backsies, but you can find your own loopholes and we'll allow it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. Today, we're on the numbered streets. Okay, for a neighborhood yard sale, but it's capped off. We're starting early. We're going to go from the yard sales to the last day of a wild hair estate sale for box it, bag it, drag it. All right. We got, so we're, we're starting at about seven. We got to get to the estate sale across town at 9am. Okay. It's in Idaho (laughs) falls. We're all very excited about it. We pull up to the number streets. We jump out of our cars. We grab our rolling carts and we're ready to party. It's already kind of busy, but like true collectors, we already know what we're after. We pull up to this first house that you and I both know who lives there. It's a local couple who is known for their own art and pottery. Mm-hmm. On the first table is a collection of handmade fine pottery vessels. Do you choose cream and sugar pottery dishes or coffee mug or mug pottery? Not the mug. Nope, nope, nope. I'm sorry. It gets worse. I know it does. I'm going to go with mugs. That's what I I love. A pottery mug. (laughs) I'm going to go with the cream and sugar. Oh, surprise. I regret it already. Next (laughs) table. It's all right. We'll cover the bases. Next table at their sale is filled with the wife's local landscape watercolors. They both just roll their (laughs) eyes at me. They're done. Do you pick a river falls scene or a barn painting? Oh, what are you doing? (laughs) 
I'm a barn enthusiast. Okay. I'm going with barn. Oh, wait a second. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In your mind, <laughs> are the paintings the same size? There's a couple small, like five by sevens, but there's a three wall hanging size. Okay. Okay. So size is not a factor. No. So I'll go with the bigger one. Okay. Then I will choose the barn one. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm glad that was your, I'm going to go Idaho Falls. Do you, <laughs> Rebecca, should we f- put the fear in your children and go, you're making these people so upset or <laughs> yelling at your mom. <laughs> You guys, you have, this is so important. This is going to be in the Library of Congress. (laughs) You have to get out of here. It's recorded forever now. You ruined your mom's whole interview. (laughs) He's not, he's fine, but he's gone. My lifelong goal is to think kids that I'm really fun, but also maybe a witch. That's my only goal in life, is that. Library of Congress. I know I want people to think I'm like that cool auntie, but yet will shank you if I have to. <laughs> Looks at you for I saw the mom look and your point that I know the point. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Great cut that or keep it, whatever. Fine. <laughs> Children, the mothballs don't mess around. We're moms. We're moms. We're don't to- mess with us. <laughs> All right. So we've got our treasures from this house. Did you pick? I picked the Idaho Falls, but okay. I already regret it. So right. it doesn't matter. Well, you sneak back later and you steal them all. We're going to the next house. It's a darling, it's a darling Tudor revival, and it has years and years and years of collecting. I'm so sorry, Rebecca. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm just sorry already. We spot. I'm I can't even look in the camera. <laughs> She's like not even like and then like we spot a table full of quilts. Oh no. We start at the bottom of the pile and we set out these patterns. You can only choose one. Why one? Sorry. Pastel flying geese. Okay. Primary pinwheel. (gasps) Or a patchwork hexagon. I'm going to do definitely the hex because do you know how hard it is to do a hex quilt? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My mom's a quilter. For that reason. I called her for this question. She was very happy. (laughs) Look at this beautiful vintage quilt I'm sitting by Mm -hmm. right now. Oh, it is pretty. Oh, I love, I love old textiles. Yeah. Okay. I say the hex. I'm going to go with the flying geese because I have some of the other from my great grandma. Oh, (laughs) loophole. (laughs) I'm going with the hexagon. Also, I called my mom and I said, Hey mom, I need some help writing an estate sale walkthrough for quilts. And she goes, Oh, what do I know about quilts? And then I wanted to drive down to Shelly and hit her because she decorated with quilts hanging on the wall. She is a master quilter and she's trying to be all humble. He's like, Sam, I don't know. Same with my grandma telling me she didn't know. I don't collect carnival glass. No, you do. Stop it. (laughs) All right. This is the last house of the yard sales. It's a cute craftsman with some smaller pieces to add to our collection because now we're filled with art and pottery and quilts. Mm -hmm. Do you picks? It's that they're kind of ready to move some stuff. They want to take a nap. There is a box of small mirrors ranging in size from a foot down to little mini ones. Or a box of old frames. And Rebecca, you don't want to show your excitement because you see some guilt. But they don't know that they have guilt frames. But there's also in the mirror boxes some Art Deco compacts. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I do love Art Deco. I love 20s and 30s. Um, 
I would probably go with the mirrors. I do want to say this one more thing too about mirrors. I'm really loving when people do like a gallery wall and then they just put one or two uh, little gilt mirrors. I have to show you my bathroom wall. You did that? I just did that at my house too. Yeah, I would love to see a picture of yours. You guys, it makes such a huge difference because instead of just having all these square lines, all of a sudden you just have this beautiful relief. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to go with that because you can use it. That's, that's what I'm going with because I have mine cause I'm a beautician. So I have hand mirrors, vanity mirrors, and then an old frame. Oh, I love that. And my, my bathroom's black and wallpapered. It's so pretty. Oh, I need to see a picture of this. I'm going to show okay. you when we're done. I'll pull it up on the screen chair so you can see it. I am going to do the frames because I want to frame little taxidermy heads. Ooh. Yeah. We had a guest on the show that she puts taxidermied mice heads on our PPCs. Okay. I know. It's a thing. They're darling. You didn't think you'd be into it, but they're adorable. I know. All right. We have our choices. Now we got to get in line for Box It, Bag It, Drag It. Because if you're local, you know not to mess around with that. Oh, man. This is when the true collectors come in. Those seriously do give me heartburn. Yeah, because they're intense. So we get in. Okay. And I wrote this before we spoke to you, so I feel like you're going to be proud of me. We (laughs) enter through the living room and we head downstairs. To check out the utility room. Good. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a drag it scenario. Okay. I'm sorry. There's a vintage sewing table. Okay. A mid-century vanity or an oak side by side. It's in rough shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to choose the mid-century piece. Oh. I am. Very proud. Oh. I... I'm sorry. Oh. <sighs> I only say sorry because when I watch you struggle, it makes me feel bad. But when I'm writing it, it's very I want fun. to add one thing. Can I add one thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. If I'm in the utility room, then for sure there's going to be some kind of a wire basket that was made about the 50s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in that basket, since I'm dragging things out of here, I want to fill it with all of the sewing paraphernalia that's with the sewing machine. Because I'll be taking home all of the old thread. I already have the buttons. The- I already have the buttons. <laughs> They're already in my... Dang it. Yep, okay. already there. I don't know if okay. you behind that's my thread hanger that I got in an estate sale. You can't really see it, but uh-huh. it's yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. I'm and I also that. have my embroidery hoops are hanging off of an old doorstop. Oh cute. Love it. Jill? I'm gonna go with the oaks. Oh I'm surprised. I know. I like to shock you every once in a while. Um I am going to go for the vintage sewing table and I'm gonna give it to spell check. Oh, look at you. Mm-hmm. So she nice. Needs All right. Next. Now it's time for the box it. Mm-mm. This is going to be rapid fire. Okay. I don't like this already. For those of you new to the show, Linda's box at bag at Dragots, or you get a Home Depot box or a UPS box or whatever. The sides are tipped up and it is all you can fit in it without it pouring out for $15, depending on the sale. It's where I got that china, an entire set of Lennox porcelain. Okay. So we got our boxes. Linda's taped them up. She's given us a wink and a smile because she's an angel. <laughs> we head to the bedroom filled with linens. Oh, no. You no. can pick as much as you want, but only in no. one category. No. All right. I refuse. Jill's dead. <laughs> Towels, handkerchiefs, or tablecloths? Tablecloths. Ooh, fast. Whoa, good job. Towels. (laughs) 
Gray, put some music behind <laughs> Jill's no, choice. Please do. I. <sighs> Handkerchiefs. Ooh, surprised. I know. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I love them so much. That's right. You're going to make a curtain for your back window. No, good idea. All right. Next one. Napkin rings or paperweights? Can you be more specific? Glass, brass, both sides. Glass, everything you ever dreamed up. Lennox, napkin rings, brass, napkin rings. I'm going to go paperweights. And I will go napkin rings. I'm going to go paperweights. All right. Next one. Is brass animals or glass animals? What did I do brass. to you? I'm gonna... Nothing. Ugh. You didn't bring wine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last one. Wait a minute. Where are you going to pick? Glass or brass? Oh, shoot. Yeah. Glass. I'm going to go brass because I have that squirrel. All right, you grab it all. I'll grab the glass. Okay, we'll meet in the middle. Same. Paul. We'll sit outside on the lawn and we'll do like trade like marbles. <laughs> Last one: place mats or napkins. Napkins. Ooh. Oh, bollocks! <laughs> what are you gonna get? I am going to go because I'm in the throes of toddlerhood and nothing in my house is respected. Place mats. That's smart. <laughs> Can't even put a tablecloth on my table without my kid going, oh, what's this? For juice? Perfect. Ketchup? Yes. You wanted me to put this cheese stick under here, right, Mom? Did you not know I did that? Huh. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to go placements. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. For some reason, I have a collection at home I didn't realize I had. Good to know. I found like four different sets. That's all. That's it. I promise. Okay. That's everything. That's everything. Good because whew, sorry, I had sweating. to make it a good one. It was fun. I would love all those things. Yeah. <laughs> we go to an estate sale or have a day like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd be great. Let's do a thrifting day. Let's we do an estate should. sale day this summer. Get some brunch. Contest. We should have a contest next time there's an estate sale. Who found the best treasure? Ooh, yes. <gasps> and then we'll do uh, tandem Instagram lives. Exactly. Yes. There we go. We're just yeah. done. It's in. It's recorded. We're doing it. <laughs> thank you. I can't thank you enough. Oh my gosh, this was so fun. You're one of us. I knew you were so one of us. For me, it's so nice to talk to people who care about things that matter. <laughs> but I, I did want to say one thing though, just like a closing thought for me. Sure. I know. I know that people have lots of junk that they deal with. Everybody has hard things in their lives, right? Sometimes when I talk about things like historic houses and pretty things and pretty dishes and all that stuff, I feel afraid that people are going to think that I am superficial or that Mm -hmm. um, I don't value that people have hard things. Mm -hmm. So what I want to say is that the beauty of all the stuff we've been talking about tonight is that there is always something wonderful to find mm-hmm. and that when you cannot control everything in your life, isn't it great that you can control some of the stuff, most of the stuff mm-hmm. that comes into your home and you can create the kind of home that you imagined for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that is really what I just want people to know is just go out and get the home you want. Like mm-hmm. go go get it. It's right there. Go get it. It doesn't have to be expensive, but control the things you can control and live a good lifestyle. So I just want to say that. I love that. And reach out. I grew up super poor. So everything I have in my home, I I found, I didn't ever buy it, pay it an eBay price or an Etsy price or not until I had my own career. Mm -hmm. Everything in my home I found for a good price. And that 
is a part of why it's well, so special. Even now that we have careers, I still get more of a thrill when I find a Pyrex dish at a thrift store for two dollars mm-hmm. mm-hmm. than buying something at full price. Mm-hmm. And if you're the beautiful thing about the vintage community and the antique community is it's filled with people that just want to talk about their stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you're uncertain about where to find something or how to find something or would it reach out? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. We're, this is such a welcoming community. Mm-hmm. We want to help you. Yeah. Speaking of that, where can our listeners find all your great stuff, Rebecca? So my Instagram account is IF historic homes. And that's probably the best place to find me. Like I mentioned, the Funland at the zoo is a great way to follow our progress. And we also have an Instagram page that has that same name, Funland at the zoo. So follow along there. I would love to connect with people, more people in the community, more people abroad that share these same interests. Mm -hmm. And we'll have, as always, all of this linked on our website, themothballprophecies.com. Yes. And stay tuned for our curio corner. Yes. Where we take a deep dive into everything else we talked about in Rebecca's episode. Again, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I loved it. Thank you so much. I'm real big glad that we asked her to be on the show. Yeah. She... (laughs) She was so funny when she like we got the video up and she was just like, I'm so excited. <laughs> I was like, no, we're excited. And she was sitting in um, I know the room she was sitting in because she does like uh she has pictures of her house on her Instagram and whatnot. And I was like, Oh, I know what room you're in. And I love the the color of that room. It's like not something I would normally pick. It was like that salmony yeah, pink color. Really, oh, that wallpaper was pretty. I love her house. And I, you know, I wish I had the power to be like, that's going to be my house when I grow up. I know. That one right there. Maybe I still do. Maybe I just need to believe it. Like Peter Pan says. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I built the house I wanted, so. I can have my Very farm. Nice. Is that what you're saying? I have my yes, farm Sam. one day? You can have your farm and then I'm going to buy you a mini donkey just so <sighs> I can come see it. Yes, please. <laughs> I'll start a fund right now. Go fund me for a mini donkey. <laughs> <laughs> We talked about, you know, I was really excited to have somebody local, local on the show because there is a lot of really great, rich history in Idaho itself. You know, it's a not a young state, but it's been around for a little while and there was lots of interesting stuff. And growing up in Shelley, there's lots of interesting bits of history there, especially for my family, because there's such a steep sense of... Well, I have stories of my grandfather, you know, working at the shooting gallery as a kid and like collecting targets and picking up brass shells and running around town like little tiny crazy people. And (laughs) one of the things that I worked on, we talk about it briefly, is when I did work on the Virginia Theater, I was in drama in high school. I know. Gigantic surprise. I would have never known. Nobody was nobody was thinking that. I'm so shy. My dad always does this joke where he goes, We just can't we just can't ever get her to talk. She's just quiet all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, Leave me be, Dad. Anyways, the Virginia Theater in Shelley is actually one of Idaho's oldest functioning theaters. Really? It was built in, originally constructed in eighteen ninety seven and it was funded by the founder of Shelley, John Shelley. And um, which he had uh, a home 
So I don't you're I don't know if you're familiar with Shelly, and this doesn't matter to literally anybody else listening. There's a home in Shelly <laughs> that is really close to the railroad tracks, and it is a craftsman Sears Roebuck house. Yeah, I think I know which one you're talking and about. And one of my old clients lived in it and confirmed and she had all the details and all that stuff about it. But um, John Shelley lived on that block. Like it was his farmland, his settlement that he got rid of anywho, but um, the owner. So John Shelley, who was the founder of Shelley, he funded the theater and it was built by his son and son-in-law. And the theater was named after his granddaughter, Virginia, which I didn't know that. I spent a whole summer in this theater and I didn't know that. Oh my gosh, that's cool. But in 1903, the building burned and then it was rebuilt. And around 1918 is when they upgraded the electricity and they began hosting silent films. Um, But since the Virginia Theater has been like a main staple in Shelley, it's been a lot of different things. It's been a venue for silent films, action theater, religious meetings, uh, more traditional movies. It was a like play theater after I left there. But there was, I remember, so it was heated by coal right before the electricity in the furnace was put in. Right. And my friend and I, Clayton, were up on scaffolding. He was 17. I was 15. We're up 20 you feet are- on the stage. <laughs> and we're hand cleaning the the hand plaster like frame that was around the original movie screen. Right. And I just remember like we washed it all the way down to the plaster because whatever paint was on it. But I think back on it now as a grown up and that for sure was lead paint of some type plus coal dust. And we were just raw dogging it. No gloves, no respirators, nothing. Just wiping it with soapy water. But there was not. Well, not only were you like 20 feet up, you were surrounded (laughs) in all the. Yeah, you Well, that was even so when I was I talked about hanging the fabric on the walls, that was like the tallest that the scaffolding could go down before it went back onto the stage. Because like most theaters, the seats go from low to high from the entrance. Right. So I was all the way down by the stage, 30 feet up in the air. This is a little spooky. So sorry. So I'm I'm by myself. Clayton had gone down to the Four Sisters, which was four buildings down, and then to Mr. Pizza, which is another Shelly staple for lunch. Left me up there. I am 30 feet up in the air on the scaffolding. The radio that I'm listening to is in the original sound booth, which is on the second floor, straight back behind me. No, stop. And then stop. The, the radio turns all the way down. No. And then I could hear somebody in the theater and I look at the sound booth. Nobody there. Music turns back on. I have never climbed down something so fast <laughs> in my life. I get all the way down and I'm like full of just like spooky spookiness. I run out of the theater and I start, I get, I see Clayton and he was very jovial. He's walking back with our lunch and I just start screaming at him because <laughs> I thought that he was like tricking me. And then his face kind of fell and he was like, oh, it happened to you too? And I was like, what do you mean it happened to me too? So that was, um, yeah, after that, I didn't really, and there was always something like, you know, it's an old building. You always feel a little weird. But after that happened, I was like, listen, guys, but there was, there's a folklore and I don't know how true it is, but there was, so the Virginia sat empty from 1990 to 2007 Mm -hmm. for 17 years. It was vacant and it was just kind of storage and, I think being leased by somebody or whatever, but there was a time that there was this guy who was reportedly gone missing 
unannounced. And he just had the theater filled with venomous snakes and reptiles and spiders. Like rattlesnakes. I'm, I'm sorry. What? So, you know, the Wild West. Yeah, they, it was just... So when we went in there, we were, like, really apprehensive of, like, what is still colonizing ah. this place. So now Damn. it's they do, um like, they do the haunted attraction and stuff in it. But... And there's really... Am I really worry about your fight and flight? <laughs> it's been beaten down over a course of 30 years or so. So now it's just like a risk assessment, <laughs> fight or flight based. You know, I kind of go, is it? I don't, you know. So Well, let's try it. It's fine. Yeah. So there's my, you know, little Virginia theater local lore. And we mentioned another um, famous person that kind of flies under the radar, even though she's named after or her namesake is one of the busiest roads and falls streets. yeah yeah so we mentioned mini hit and it's funny because you would think with somebody with a road named after them they'd have like a lot of story but most of them were about her husband which, which like rude yeah but so i um actually found this article on east idaho news and they talked to one of the curators at the museum of idaho um her name is carrie anderson at Athe, Athe, sorry, sorry, sorry about your name, Carrie. (laughs) But so Minnie, um, when she first moved to Idaho Falls, her um, maiden name was Gibson. uh, And she arrived in 1889 with her mom and sister. And she was 17 years old and got a job clerking in the Anderson Brothers store. She demonstrated keen skills with numbers and worked her way into a teller position at the bank. She eventually became a loan officer and later a member of the bank's board of directors, which back in that time. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Um, And she helped um, a lot of people who struggled. There were people who had been swindled out of purchasing land that was overpriced because it it was in a condition that wasn't promised anything. It was just like, Mm -hmm. here's some land. Yeah. You know, take take it or leave it. And people coming over from the East Coast, that like that's what they wanted. They wanted land, mm-hmm. and but nobody told you you had to have a certain land to grow stuff. Well, and we, I talk about this a little bit more in the episode that's going up on the Patreon at the same time that this episode launches. Mm-hmm. Speaking about when my it's my grandmother's episode, and oh right, um, she's speaking about how her father, when he immigrated, or her grandfather when he immigrated here. Um, he got 80 acres, but you could yeah. pick where it was just kind of like, yeah, yeah. And that's what this pretty much said. It said, here's a hundred acres for this amount of money. But it was like, oh, half of it is it covered in rock. So mm-hmm. good luck. But um, so she helped many of them uh, by providing loans based on character, not collateral. She had the lowest number of bank defaults of a banker in the entire region, which really states that she was really good at judging a person's character. Yeah. Wow. Not a girl, uh, Minnie. I know. I was like, see, you follow your gut and mm-hmm. it leads to good things. Um, so, but one of the people that she helped was a man named Frank Hitt. And Hitt had come to Idaho Falls to get started in sheep ranching. Um, Minnie invested some of her own money in Hit's cause. She had a special affinity for the nightlife 
and often was about town at parties and dances. She loved wearing fancy gowns and would occasionally run into hit in these settings. Um, it said that he was well known around town and was well thought of by the ladies because he was a handsome, dapper young man. Sheep farmer. I know he is actually pretty. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, you see that? Yeah. Like he was like pretty good looking. I know. Um, so the two began dating and in 1901 they were engaged. So, but July of that year, July of that year, Hit decided to attend a wedding of a friend in Blackfoot. And <laughs> it says he went and bought a brand new carriage and oh. offered a ride to several ladies in attendance. Because it's the gentleman thing to do. That's what she did. Yeah. Um, so one of the women declined, but another lady hopped right in there. And she went on a ride with Frank for several hours. Oh. Later, Frank dropped her off at her home where she was met by her husband. The husband had a shotgun in hand and he shot hit several times for gallivanting around town with his wife. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So word got back to Minnie and and then at that time, they didn't think Frank was going to survive the shooting because back in that time. It was. It was either one way or the other. That's when they still thought you had demons in your blood. Yeah, it wasn't going to go well for him. <laughs> um, so she went to back. Uh, she went to Blackfoot, brought him back to Idaho Falls, and married him as soon as they got back. Well, did- she kind of owed him. That sounds yeah. terrible, but I mean, I got shot for you. <laughs> That's what they should have done she- the notebook on. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, like, I'll stop it. Be like, you're going to die. I'm going to marry you right now. Uh, but he, so he did survive, though. And according to Athy, uh, Frank and Minnie had a wonderful marriage. But questions still surrounded Minnie's intention when she married him that day. It said that perhaps this was the greatest love story. Or perhaps her decision to marry him was because she invested heavily in his sheep farms <laughs> and wanted to protect her investment. Which, I mean, they didn't have prenups back then, so she had to make sure she got hers. Um, Either way, the couple remained a fixture in the community for the rest of their lives. He died in 1918. They never had any children, but the home they built in 1903 is still standing. It's at uh, 288 Northridge Avenue across from the First Presbyterian Church. (gasps) I didn't know that was their house. I didn't either. Oh, we'll put that up. It'll be up on the Instagram. Yeah. Um, but before she died, she left it to the church so it could continue to serve the community and be a house for the people who needed it. Um, it's used today for people who are transitioning out of the homelessness. So Minnie Hit continues to serve the community today. Hit Road, one of Idaho Falls' busiest streets, was named in her honor and carries on her memory today. Oh, wow. I wonder if Promised Ridge is named is um, in Minnie Hit's namesake. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so I found it. This is from Rebecca's blog. Oh! So this is from, I, f- I forgot that she wrote an article about this, but you wouldn't have found it. With what you were looking for. Right. So it's his new family shelter in beautiful old mansion. And this is on Rebecca's blog at boulevardwestblog.com. 
And it says, a local group has opened a beautiful old mansion for families in need of temporary emergency housing. The house was built in 1903, but for Frank and Minnie hit. According to our local newspaper, Minnie was the only woman banker in the town back then, a true feminist for her time. The house has been used in similar ways to help families in the past, and Rebecca is so happy to see it. But I will share this blog post because it shows the interior of the home. Does it really? Yes, I'm going to send it to you right now. While I was looking for just mini hit stuff, I also came across the original like newspaper thing that was talking about when he was shot. Oh, yeah. And oh. when they were married and he was shot in the right lung. I did. So I did um, read on another article. It said like two hit his arm and went through and then one stuck in the lung. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I wonder. I you mean. Know- you At know, the time, that's pretty good to live through that. I mean, yeah, it's like superhero status. I, um, I'm looking forward to. They just opened a new exhibit at the museum. That's um, the bodies exhibit, but for animals. Yes, I want to see that. But the museum also has in like old west section, mm-hmm. and it has all this history. And I'm wondering what I've looked over that is related to Mini Hit. So, um, I can't remember what article, but they I believe they have a coin purse of hers. Mm. And it has the bank's uh, stamp on it oh, that she worked at. That's incredible. I know. That's what a legend. Cool. Wow. I know. I love this town. Another uh, what, a thing that I wanted to like talk about a little bit that kind of goes along with this same time era is we use this acronym during the show. And I didn't know what it meant until this year. And it's so it's RPPC. Right. And RPPCs are real photo postcards, which that was like the extent of my knowledge on it. But RPPCs, they're the result. This is from uh, collectorsweekly.com. This is a result of developing a negative onto photo paper with a pre-printed postcard backing. So you'd have the postcard side that said postcard in the sent mark, right? Right. And then you'd print the negative onto the reverse. And it, it usually featured, I think, just really anything there was small towns nature political events natural disasters animals people all of that stuff and the first even though it was the first documented rppc it was sent out in 1899 but the style wasn't exactly established until a very familiar man eastman kodak began selling Velix paper, photo paper, with a pre-printed postcard back in 1902. The following year, Kodak would release um, its number 3A folding pocket camera, which used films specifically designed for postcard size prints. Oh. Interesting. That is interesting. I'd love to find, you know, I bet who has um, some Idol Falls RPPCs? Eric. I bet Eric Yeah, I bet he does too. Yeah. That's cool. Interesting little bit that. of history. Now I'm going to be on the lookout for postcards. Our houses aren't big enough. <laughs> Speaking of, I still have the next topic of conversation on the floor behind me. Because I don't have anywhere to put them. At all. But I, next year I'll have, we'll have our own little mothball tree. We will. And we will cover them in these shiny bright ornaments. Yes. That... Okay, so I'm super annoyed that they're becoming popular because <laughs> I used to be able to find them and now I can't find them mm-hmm. because everybody is grabbing them up. 
So um, if some of you know what we're talking about, the shiny bright ornaments are those um, Christmas ornaments. Yes. Holiday bobbles. <laughs> They're the bright, shiny ornaments that you see. And they um, some of them are covered in glitter. They're bright colors. Like they're just. They're the ones that make you happy. Mm-hmm. Like you just see them and it's just instant joy. They're like the quintessential vintage holiday decor. Yeah. Um, but the shiny bright uh, ornaments were created by American businessman Max Eckhart in 1937. And I found this article on retrochristmascardcompany.com. Wow. I know. What a name. I know it has some really cool stuff in it. Oh, dang it. <laughs> so shiny brights were proudly made in the USA, a selling point during World War II as previous to this many glass ornaments were imported from Germany. They were mass produced in a process that started with an unadorned glass bulb supplied by Corning Company. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> That were then hand decorated and machine lacquered in Eckhart's factories. The inside of the bulbs were coated in silver nitrate, giving the decorations a well bright and shiny look. They eventually came in a large variety of colors, including classic green and red, purples, pinks, and icy blues. The colors could be solid or patterned. They also came in a large variety of shapes, including balls, teardrops, icicles, and pine cones. They proved extremely popular and at their peak came out of four separate factories in New Jersey. Interestingly, the history of shiny bright ornament was directly impacted by wartime America. Early pre-war ornaments often had large sections of opaque silver and metallic colors. After World War II was declared, decorative silver nitrate became a non-essential use of metal. So many of the ornaments were striped or stripped of any silvering and were mainly transparent with only hand-painted color on the outside of the ball. These transparent bulbs are some of the most sought after and prized collectors. And then, oh, and so then it says the hooks are also a good indicator of age which I would have never thought to look at the hook. Wow. Um, so it says the early shiny brights have a have metal hooks and tops, which would make sense because it's pre-World War. Uh-huh. During the war, these hooks were replaced with cardboard tabs from which the owner would use string to hang the ornament. Some bulbs from the wartime era also include um, a sprig of tinsel inside the bulb okay. to add sparkle. But even this small use of metal was eventually prohibited. Wow. Leave it yeah. to uh, World War II to just ruin everybody's fun <laughs> no. in lots of ways. Well, yeah. And so I think because I'm pretty sure I have shiny bright ornaments and I think mine are pre-World War because they still have the metal. I think that I have found some that are pre-World War II and I think the ones that are behind me mm-hmm. is a mixture I, because... I bought them in a lot from somebody on Facebook and they have red ribbon that are tied to a lot of them, but it's old red ribbon. Yeah. And then I found a bag of little bitty bulbs this year, the little red ones. Yes. And they have like oxidized metal tops. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, um, while I was making dinner this evening, I put on a YouTube video of this guy 
I don't remember the name, but um, he was just listing like all these different shiny bright ornaments and types and how they were made and how it was used. And then one of the ways that they make fakes of them is people will buy the old ones that don't have the silver on the inside mm-hmm. and they'll put their own silvering solution to no. make it a fake. No. I know, it's rude. Um, I did read an article that they're starting to make ornaments to look like the shiny bright ones so even if you can't find vintage you can look like you have vintage they're so great they're so pretty they're just like i said they're happy mm-hmm. and i have some of the ones i have like pine cones i have the ones with the indent i have uh like some really old ones that i'm afraid of the paint on them you know <laughs> just normal stuff those are ones that are just going to be in storage for a while for a while uh, Rebecca mentioned another interesting thing that we, it's a phrase and a thing we've all heard of, but I never really knew exactly what it was. And that's the Caldecott Award medal. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is from ALA.org. And it's just, um, there's of course a lot more that I'm going to cover. I'm just going to give a brief little synopsis of it because I thought it was pretty darling. So the Caldecott medal was named in honor of a 19th century English illustrator Randolph Caldecott. It is awarded annually by the Association for Library Service to Children. It's a division of the American Library Association. To the artist of the most distinguished American picture book for children. And the 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 funnel process for this to be an awardee is pretty strenuous. Like you have to be an American citizen and an American citizen at the time you wrote the book. Oh. Like it's strictly an American award for children's uh, picture books. There's a lot more to it, obviously. But I found this little interesting tidbit about the Caldecott medal itself. It weighs 3.1 ounces and has a two and one third inch diameter. Therefore, the circumference of the medal is approximately seven and one third inches. It is not worn, but rather is presented in a cherry wood box for display on a desk or an other flat surface. And I'm sure you guys have all seen this sticker that's on the front yeah. of a Caldecott book. Mm-hmm. What an that's interesting, cool. like, little niche thing to collect. I love that. Yeah, I know. I would have never thought that would be something to collect. No, me neither. Me neither. But that was pretty much all we covered. I mean, Rebecca did a marvelous job, as always, covering the nooks and crannies of old homes. Yeah, she was so fun to talk to about all of that stuff. I know. I'm really excited for this summer and, you know, working together and doing the volunteer project and all of those things. And then hopefully if my antique study group meets, we can (laughs) I I can bring her along because I think that she would be great. Oh, she would be so, oh my gosh, they would love her. I know, I would just be like in the background typing on my phone quickly. <laughs> People whispering, why is she typing? I, I'm just going to go back with a notebook and really throw them off. Be like, quarantine <laughs> changed me. Which is wear sunglasses inside. But yeah. to see <laughs> to see everything we talked about on Rebecca's episode, be sure to check out our Instagram, the Mothball Prophecies Original, and our Facebook you can find uh, all of the things we're doing in the background in fast motion with music that's trending on TikTok at the Mothball Prophecies Original. 
We are probably the most active on our Instagram. That's where we post our day-to-day life. And the, we want to thank the people that get an inside view into our day-to-day life and nonsense. Our patrons with our Patreon. We have four tiers, five tiers available anywhere from $1 to $35. If you want to check that out, the link is in our link tree in our bio. And we're going to take a moment to thank each of them. We want to thank Julia in my family's home country of Sweden. And Jasmine in Kentucky. Kyla all the way over there in Indiana. And Mandy and Riley in the warm state of California. The windy state this week. I want to especially thank our local Idahoans, TC Lionel, Melissa, Christina, and Erica. And as we said before, to join our Patreon, you can see the link tree in our Instagram bio. We have a really exciting Patreon perk for February that we started working on last November. Yes. We have a, we have a lot of big announcements coming up over the next uh, couple months. We Yeah, we do. We've been working hard for you guys. You guys have shown your love, and so we are showing it right back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we would love to hear your stories and your curio items that you have that are passed down or whatever, something you found, a perfect estate sale, what have you. You can send us an email at themothballprophecies at gmail.com or you can call us on our Google Voice number at 208-274-5242. We would also love to hear how you feel about the show and what you think. And we would love if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, Apple's, you know, weird in the way that the rate and reviews show people the show. We want to do a big thank you to our support team. Without them, this show would be absolutely nothing. Gray for making us sound good every week. Spell check for making us look good on paper. And as always, we hope you find some good stuff. And remember to look under the tables. Please, your moms want you to find good stuff. I know, they do. <laughs> Bye! See ya!